When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Welcome back to Fright School. Hello, Joe. Hi, Joshua. How you doing? I am doing pretty good, actually. Although, dear listener um, or viewer, uh, if you're watching this over on the Patreon, I uh, do have a little bit of a sinus thing going on. So I sound a little uh, stuffy, uh, which I, I feel Joe can relate to. You also seem to be. Yeah, I have... Um... I have a wee bit of a sore throat that I thought was sinusy related, but who knows? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh, uh, you might have the COVID from the Black Lagoon. Oh my gosh. It's the, uh, it's like, uh, it's like an, it follows. It finally got me. I gotta go, gotta go have sex with someone now to keep that bay. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, no, we got back from London, obviously, uh, last week, as you well know, and somewhere along the way, we picked up something. Jeffrey's got a little something in his chest. I've got a little something in my sinuses and my ear. Doesn't seem to be COVID, although, um, you know, I guess you never know with all the changing things going on. I know we're we're not we're up to about five now. No longer about two. So. Yeah, so just kind of been keeping it low. Uh, the first couple days were really bad. Like my ear especially was like all closed up and it like hurt. I mean, there was mm-hmm. actually, there was a few hours on Wednesday, I think. Wednesday or Thursday. I think it was Wednesday that I was like, I should go to the hospital maybe. Because it was, I mean, the pain was so unbearable. Like I couldn't focus on anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but because, you know, like the man I am, I was like, no, I'm just going to wait it out and see what happens. So now it's better. I think I, I actually, to be honest with you, I think it might be swimmers ear. Um, but who knows, but the more, like I like fiddled with my ear, the worse it got. So ever since I've just left it alone, it's getting better. So Oh, I hear them. I hear, I hear the little one. Yeah. We've got Lily in here today. Um, she's, she is like refusing to like leave. I don't know. Maybe I'm dying, Joe. Who knows? The both of the cats <laughs> on me. So yeah, I don't know what's going on anyways. Uh, how, how have you been? Well, first of all, thank you so much for once again, holding down the fort here at the West Craven Memorial Library whilst we uh, globe trotted. Uh, oh, you're welcome. I appreciate it. What's really amazing is how clean the house was. 
like, <laughs> I'm like, you know, cause we do a lot of stuff. So people come and go when we're here, we, you know, we have visitors, we have like the weekly, you know, watches and stuff. And so the house can be kind of messy within a week or two. And I was like, wow, it looks like all fresh and clean. So thank you. Everything, everything was perfect. Ah, the plan is working. <laughs> ah, the plan worked. Uh, did you see the towels? Did I did. You... you folded them correctly. <laughs> I, I, oh my gosh. When James came over, he was like, he looked at the towels and he was laughing at me because I got so mad about like, I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> And then I, and then before when I was, you know, I wanted to, um, I wanted to treat the, the little ones to like a warm blanket right before I left. So I did the, I did the blankets and I, you know, ran them through and I also did some towels and then I looked at, I took one out and I examined it and then I did it that way. In the spirit of this science fiction film we're going to talk about, like I examined it. There we go. You got scientific on it. Yeah, I did. I actually like that. I appreciate that, you know, because that's what I would do. Like if I was staying somewhere, I'd be like, well, how do they do, you know? (sighs) And and you're going to love this part. I got to say. I like the way you fold your towels better than the way I fold them. I think you could fit more. I don't yeah, know how well, that's, that's the possible. thing. I don't yeah, know how well, that's this, possible though. This house was built in the fifties. So the closet's really narrow. And so it's like, I, we have to fold them a certain way so that everything fits. Cause you have like your big towels, your hand towels, your, um, uh, like washcloths, face cloths, whatever people call them, the square one, the rectangular one, and the big mm-hmm. rectangle ones. So it's like they all have to be folded a certain way to fit. So anyways, this is uh, endlessly fascinating, uh, as always, uh, for those listening. <laughs> I just want to say I appreciate it. And if you ever get the pleasure of Joe watching your house, uh, you can, you, you five stars, five stars on Yelp for me. Thank so, you. On TripAdvisor. Mm. Anyways, <sighs> it's been a pretty good week being back. We we did a ton of stuff in London. Obviously, we saw uh, the ABBA Voyage show was incredible. Can I, you I explain could... what that is? Like, I, yeah. So it wasn't ABBA. No, 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 no. Well, it's ABBA, but not really ABBA. So it's like CGI digital. Like it's it's beyond hologram. Uh, I would say like it, it's not like a hologram, which is usually like an image like projected on stage. You know, this was like they had big screens and they created these like three dimensional looking avatars, the avatars. And so it's like them performing music like in they, they made them younger. They're like, I think it's like the 70s, late 70s kind of look for all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a 10 piece live band, including singers, you know, a full band. And then they use, I'm pretty sure they use, although this, I'm kind of confused about this myself. uh, They use the original album vocals uh, to do the songs. Um, But they have a ton of live stuff. So I'm actually surprised they didn't record live or use like live sampled vocals. But otherwise there was a lot of live music going on. And uh, so, yeah, so they built this thing out in Pudding Mill Lane in in London, out in the middle of nowhere. They built this giant uh, arena to house uh, all of this stuff. Oh man, I wish I had it in here now. So 
I bought one of the programs that kind of talked about like 64 million pixels, you know, in this, you know, total in all the screens, you know, 800 light fixtures, you know, hundreds of miles of ropes and cables and all that kind of stuff. It, it kind of broke down like what it takes to do the show. Um, and so, yeah, and it fit, I, I don't know how many, you know what, to be honest, Jeffrey and I kept comparing it to the Charles, um, uh, Schultz, Charles M. Schultz Theater at Knott's Berry, like where we saw Elvira. Like that's oh, okay. how it's not huge. It was a pretty small space, uh, to be honest. Uh, but they used all of it. Like there were lights all around the whole thing. The, the screens went like way onto the sides, like kind of enveloped the arena. They had all this stuff like coming down, no matter where you sat, there were things coming down. Uh, from the ceiling and up and, you know, all that. We had dance floor tickets. So they have kind of like a giant, they have the arena with like arena style seating all around. And then in the middle is just a big open, you know, GA pit. So that's where we were, which was great. So anyway, so that's basically what it is. You're kind of watching this digital version of ABBA uh, perform their songs live quote unquote but it felt like i mean you really kind of bought into it like we did like you know i mean when they first came out it was very uncanny valley where you're like okay i get what they're doing um still cool but as it went on you kind of got a little lost in it and there were definitely moments where it's like man i can't believe there aren't they're not like real people up there you know just because the screens like they would show it was just all really well done, all really well coordinated. So like they, it was like being at a concert sometimes where they'd have like the video screens. So it'd be like images of them on the stage, but it was all like perfectly in sync, um, you know, and then they would get close-ups and it's like, you know, just the little wispy hairs, like, you know, floating and um, which I, I just thought that was really incredible. And I keep talking about how like in between songs, they kind of like, would hang out on the stage and like um, Bjorn, who's the uh, guitarist, he would be kind of wavering, you know, like, like you would, if you were on stage waiting for the next song to start and like that, and your guitar's heavy, like it felt, it just felt really real. You really kind of got lost in the whole image of it. And uh, the audience too. I mean, they lost their minds. It was, it was really like ABBA was up there. So, and it wasn't that the whole time there were other, there was a lot of videos. I mean, it was like, uh, kind of like when you go to any pop concert and there's like video uh-huh. interludes, there was stuff like that. Um, there were times when like the avatars would do other things. And so they'd be like, you know, huge in the stadium or, you know, they, they played with the format. It wasn't like they just stood on stage and like sang the whole time. You know, like there, it, it was very, very immersive and interactive. A lot of stuff going on. Super cool. Highly recommend. I hope they come to Vegas. Uh, you know, I mean, it's like, I think that'd be perfect if they opened up this in, in like Vegas would be a good place for it because it kind of needs to be built. Uh, I don't think it's the kind of thing you could easily travel with unless you got into venues where you had like control over every aspect. Because like the lighting, it has to be really dark. You know, it has to be a lot of stuff has to work. You know, so it only makes sense for them to like build something in LA or build something in Las Vegas or New York in order to make it, um, you know, work. Yeah, you, I'm really, I'm actually really surprised that you're, that you're raving about it considering, I mean, like you and Jeffrey see like a ton of live music and, and, and to have this experience where it's like, it's live, but not really, but. Um, I mean, it's really stepping into the future, it sounds like. 
Yeah, I I just think uh, it was just unlike anything we'd seen before, which we're always looking for that in live performance and shows. You know, when we saw Bjork do, you know, Cornucopia, that was like at the time the, you know, most mind-blowing thing. She if once she gets a hold of this technology, oh my gosh, I can't imagine the Bjork like, uh, you know, uh avatar show uh because she could really work with it madonna i think could really work with it i do think that the the key to making this work so well is that that abba is still alive and we're very much involved uh they spent several weeks like five weeks or something with all the little dots on their faces wearing the suits so they could like uh translate all their moves uh which they then like you know, digitally grafted on to like younger bodies, but like the movements are all very natural to them, the way they sing, the way they talk, you know, their eyes, all of that kind of stuff. So, I mean, it was just very, very detailed and because they were there and then they recorded like new stuff. So each of the members was like highlighted for a song. It would like tell a little story and then go into a song and, and that helped that that was new. So I, I know a lot of people are talking about like, oh, you know, they could do this for Michael Jackson or uh, Whitney Houston. But it's like the fact that they're alive and involved in it, I think, adds something. I, I think you'd really lose something if, I mean, who knows? I mean, the technology keeps getting better and better. So who knows what people might do. But I don't think it would work as well to try to do this with like a dead celebrity. I, I think that what... Uh, what you said about like having the live person's input, like you ever watch Dollhouse with Elijah Duke, uh, Elijah I, I saw some episodes of it, but when it was like new, my brother's and sister's father was obsessed with it. Um, it, It's very, it's kind of very this where it's just like, okay, these people are going to like in the future, quote unquote, very black mirror. Um, You're these, uh, the digital consciousness will be downloaded of a celebrity and they'll work until, until they're dead. They are, they'll work until they're irrelevant anymore, right? Like, even in death. And that's the thing that, like, I really didn't like about, like, holograms showing up at Coachella of, like, Whitney Houston and um, Tupac. It's like, even in death, they can't find any rest or peace. Like, you know, if, yeah. it's interesting. And, and I know that that's a, I know that's a totally a thing right now, too. It's like, you know, celebrities, what happens to their, uh, to their digital image after their passing um, and who can and cannot make money off of that. Um, I feel like this is a way to like, you know, ensure some sort of, um, ensure some sort of continuity and like, you know, continued support for their descendants. Right. But it's just so strange because like, think about this in like the, you know, 30, 40 years, it's like, if something happens to Beyonce, um, is there, is there already something work in the works for share? Like, I could see this being like a share thing, and you. Could, oh yeah, share yeah. would be great. Yeah, any like of the pop stuff, I think would really work because that's the thing. This blended a lot of that. There were times where you felt like you were in a music video. Uh, there were times that it was like super immersive. They they built this uh, film that was kind of split into two parts uh, between uh, a song called Eagle and uh, and Voulez-vous and uh, Abba songs. Still talking about Abba and. Uh, it was really neat. It was like a video game. It was kind of this person, this uh, traveler, like, you know, hunting down something or whatever. Felt very Indiana Jones in a way, but they was very, they looked um, uh, not Viking-like, but something. It was, it was just their own thing. So it kind of blended a lot of things. So I think it works best. It would work best with that kind of 
you know, because people were saying like afterwards we were chatting with people, they're like, oh, it'd be cool if like the Rolling Stones did this or Led Zeppelin or, you know, the, you know, all these kind of guys. And it's like, I don't know if it would work as well. I mean, maybe, you know, the Beatles, somebody said, oh, that'd be cool to do this for the Beatles. And it's like, yeah, but they just kind of stand there and play music, right? Yeah. It's not a show, you know, so this is something that like, it works really well pop wise. Cause there's a lot of imagery and so not to say that they couldn't do it with the Beatles. Certainly there's plenty to, to, to dig in there, yeah. especially like yellow submarine and, you know, Sergeant pepper. Like there's a lot of visual imagery that they could make something really interesting out of them. I have no doubt. Uh, I mean, they've got a whole musical they could like base stuff off of, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, but yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I can't, I, it, it was just something beyond like, it, it way was beyond my expectations of what I expected it to be. And um, I can't wait to see how it evolves and how it changes. And, and I do really hope that they tour it. Cause I would love to see it again. We tried, actually, we looked for tickets again, just cause it's really like sold out. Uh, it's really, really hard to get seats. We actually bought resale tickets that somebody was happening to sell. Oh, and, nice. Nice. Yeah, yeah. And we got lucky cause they were not overly expensive. I don't know if there's like a control or something there, uh, you Probably. know, kind of like what the Foo Fighters are doing with their Taylor Hawkins trip. It's tightly controlled. Um, and even the resell, it has to be like through their site or something and you can't make money off of it. It has to be original face value ticket. So I don't know, maybe there's something at play there. So we got super lucky, but we tried to go again because it was, I mean, it was cool. It was really cool. So that's, that's it. So now that we've talked for a half an hour about, ABBA, <laughs> um, I guess we can just, <laughs> I just, I recommend it if people want to go see it. Uh, other than that, obviously the rest of London was super cool. Saw lots of museums, uh, did all that, did a Jack the Ripper tour. I'm not going to talk too much about that because the guy who did the tour wrote a book that I picked up and I do think that we might be able to get him to come and chat with us. So I don't want to get too into the weeds with, uh, the Jack the Ripper stuff, but it was okay. super cool. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, Caught up on Stranger Things up till the last two that just came out. Oh my we're god, Joshua. We're, we're we're through the seven, so we watched a ton of Stranger Things on the flight. It was so cute though because we both had our iPads where we had downloaded everything because we hadn't watched season three yet. So we had downloaded season three and season four, and so we kept like looking at each other and syncing our iPads so that we played them at the same time so that we could like you know, make faces and point at things because um, <laughs> we couldn't watch together mm-hmm. um, on one iPad. So are we thinking that, like, I mean, I just cannot stop looking at Maya Hawk and thinking they, ha- like, Gattaca is real. Gattaca is real. She is a clone of Uma Thurman. Like, oh, I know. Even her voice, the way she talks. Even her voice. I'm like, I, I was just like, if we're if we don't get, like, a Gattaca remake with Maya Hawk or um or like what the uh what we've been talking about for Quentin Tarantino's talked about where it's like Kill Bill 3 but it's mm. like the bride it's it's a uh, um Beatrix Kiddo's like daughter who is like fighting against um Vernita Green's daughter like that yeah. whole thing oh my gosh like she is the she is gorgeous and the spitting image the spitting image of her mother and like it's it's very much like like that celebrity app where it's like here put two pictures together and this is what you their baby looks like that's like who how Maya Hawk comes out 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. We were we were laughing about that because there was something she did or said in one of the things. I was like, oh, that was so Uma. Like she just looks just like her and sounds like her. And mm-hmm. you know, even the cadence, the way that she talks, it's like you can hear, you can really yeah. hear that she grew up with Uma Thurman. Uh, but yeah, otherwise, like the season's been fun. It's very uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm enjoying uh, very much in that in that kind of realm. Also, a lot of other things. It's inspiring, you know. Obviously, there's like Carrie references in there, and um, Silence of the Lambs, Silence of the Lambs, like a very heavy-handed, like not even yeah. homage, like like quite literally a shot-for-shot remake. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that was entertaining. So I, I'm overall enjoying like the aesthetics of it and the fun, the story is super convoluted as always. And very like, there were times we'd kind of stop between episodes. Like what the fuck is going on? What is happening? (laughs) There's like a lot, a lot happening, but you know, getting to that seventh episode and kind of, you know, twisting things together. Some stuff we guessed kind of knew along the way. Um, you know, I was like, oh, I think that this or that. And then it was like that, you know, that came to pass. I'm like, well, there you go. Uh, yeah. So super fun though. And it's fun to actually be kind of caught up with everybody and, you know, avoiding spoilers too much. I mean, obviously you can't escape the running up that hill conversation that's been happening the last few weeks, which again, go Kate Bush. So happy for her. Love that people are discovering her. Uh, I, the other thing is last night we were we were watching it and like she was playing running up that hill again. I'm like, there are other songs uh, on that album, my friend, uh, that maybe you want to check out. Uh, <laughs> but I also get like licensing and all that. Maybe they just couldn't. But there's, you know, it's a great album. So uh, I, I hope that, uh, you know. Okay, Bush is swimming in it and uh, enjoying it. <laughs> I saw an article this morning that, like, um, since season four came out, she's made over two point three million dollars in streaming yeah. uh, revenue, which, like, is That's amazing. Is amazing considering, like, how pennies you get <laughs> for streaming shit, right? Like, yeah, yeah. For, yeah. Well, it's on everything too. It's like you can't open TikTok. Every single video is using some part of running up that hill, and some of it makes no sense. I'm like, why is this song in this video of a cat, like you know, knocking over a cup? Like, I don't know what's happening, but it's <laughs> everywhere. Uh, which part of me is like, that's great and wonderful, but but I do hate our culture's tendency to do that, you know, and like mm-hmm. they're just going to run it into the ground. And I'm not looking forward to the articles next, you know, in a couple of months or next year, you know, like is running up that hill actually a good song? Did it deserve the, you know what I mean? Like you're going to have that kind of like, oh, it was so funny. I saw this person uh, tweeted out about their, they were like, um, am I the only person that hates Eddie? And then they went on this whole thing about how like everything about him is like corporately designed to like appeal and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, his hair and his jacket and everything. He's just like the whole thing is like it's it seems so an effort just to pull like a very specific nostalgia string. And I wanted to tweet back at them like it's very interesting that this whole tweet seems to be totally created to just generate likes and conversation because yeah you're like the only person that's like talking about hating eddie like it's so contrarian it's like i don't think this person cares one way or the other but it's a perfect time to like post something like that like like right now somebody should go on and just be like i hate kate bush you know just because it would generate (laughs) 
I'm not saying they should actually, I shouldn't say that. I no, no, we don't need more negativity, but it's just the contrarianism of it all it cracks me up. You know, yeah. just know there are people out there. Uh, Kate Bush isn't that talented, you know, <laughs> Eddie is very histrionic, but I think he needs to be that way in order to do, in order for like, okay, now like in order to pull the very specific thing. Also, I look well. The thing that I was not appreciative of, this is not a spoiler, but um, I was like, okay, like we're really we're really like checking the list off of all of the, um, all of the. Uh, 80s cultural thing conversations right like right like this whole season was about fucking satanic panic like and i'm like uh, oh my totally. gosh like we're really we're really checking this off um and i was just like okay we get it and part of me just thinks like huh interesting i wonder if i i, I would love to like just sit down for like dinner or brunch or something with the duffer brothers to just unpack their mind because they're uh, the storytelling is really interesting. And Joshua, the last two episodes pull the entire series together. Yeah. And I think it was uh, no, designed. Sure. That, I think it was designed that way, but I just, yeah, I just think the whole series does that though. Like that's the thing, like being critical of, again, I don't care either way. Like I'm not, I'm not, uh, extremely invested in in stranger things like as a property and i'm not going to like defend it or you know people hate stuff like that's that's perfectly fine my my commentary was more about just how quickly you know it's like when people love something you've got to have those people out there that hate it and a lot of times i feel it's just to generate conversation or to generate shares and likes but mm-hmm. it's always done it's always done that 80s you know i just remember the very first season like that first episode you know, opening up in these like brown wood houses, like, you know, the wood and like the tab and, you know, the just, it was so like, we're in the eighties, but a very like a different, like not the eighties we're used to seeing glamorized. This was like, it's the fucking eighties. Like there are times when these characters like poor Nancy, the clothing they put that girl in, I'm just mm-hmm. like, you poor thing. Like, cause, but she looks, I, I mean, I remember people dressing like that. Like I remember, you know, in the early nineties, especially in 1991, like people still kind of look like that, you know, in Ohio. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, like an an accordion skirt and a shoulder pad. Like, yes. Like there were just things about it that I'm like, it's so real, you know, it's so much the eighties, but again, it, there is a lot of nostalgia porn in it as well. And like, that's fine. Again, like if people are enjoying themselves, whatever, but yeah. Anyways, it's just our culture is so interesting to me. <laughs> um, did you watch anything new this week or? Um, well, <laughs> um, I, I don't know if you noticed in your streaming, <laughs> in your in your streamer services, but I watched a I watched quite a bit of things. Um, I was I kind of at a certain point I was like literally trying to intentionally. Um, fuck up your <laughs> fuck up your algorithm by watching <laughs> most random shit. I think your YouTube's all fucked. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel You'd like be I surprised watched- that the the level of darkness it overtook it right back. So the only <laughs> thing I noticed was because you must have watched Trixie Motel and Drag Race on my thing because yes. it wasn't in my queue to watch. I did. So I had to actually search for it uh, oh. so that we could watch the new episodes. But um, that's <laughs> all I really noticed. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's all I've noticed so far. <laughs> um, I finished the Umbrella. I felt like here. Here's the list of the things that I finished. I finished the Umbrella Academy. Um, nice. I watched it from the beginning again in anticipation of the final season or the the next season. And I, yeah, it was it was very like it's very much like a Stranger Things, where like it's bit, like the needle drops are really great. The story is just as convoluted. You really don't quite know what's happening, but people love it. Um, I watched the Jennifer Lopez uh, documentary, um, which oddly, I found like oddly, you know, oddly riveting um, as a, uh, I think it's a different side of JLo that we're not used to seeing. Not that like, you know, she's this huge public personality, but uh, it was really cool and refreshing to see her uh, talk about um not only her career and like what it was like to be like, you know, a Latina in Hollywood at the time. And when she was starting to rise, um, yeah. I binged watched season three of legendary, um, which was fantastic. Like I was just, I'm like, I, I was literally doing like, you know, uh, um, walks for the, for the cats and, you know, just be like, come on, come on, hemlock. Give me that. Give me that. Give me that cut. <laughs> Um, and then just, mess. yeah, totally mess. <laughs> um, and most recently, um, I started, um, from the beginning, I started watching, um, the boys on Amazon because I know oh, okay. that the, the final, the next season is, uh, just finished. It's uh, just released its season finale. And I've always kind of wanted to watch the boys. So I uh, started and it is, it's good, but like, it's so, hel- I, I think it's interesting to me that like the two shows on Amazon that I love, which are like the boys and, um, upload are both like huge indictments about like monster corporations mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like the self-awareness that it like the self-awareness or the audacity that it takes for like amazon to two really popular shows be specifically about like how awful big corporations are <laughs> well it's always fascinating when they tell on themselves or again it's like fox news by day fox network by night or two yeah. very different things uh, you know, we all flock to the Hunger Games and, you know, Harry Potter and, you know, Diverge, whatever, and say, this is exactly the world we're living in and then continue, you know, to behave as if we can't change it and that everything is futile, 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 whatever I'm trying to say. Futi- it's fascinating. Futile. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> futile. Futility of it all. Uh. Uh, well, it sounds like you had a really good watch week. You, you, you've been like conquering shit. I mean, like it was also just like fun to just be with the cats and like have them, you know, claw at me and sit on me. And, you know, I got like, I, I like fully understand the geography of like Lilium's vagina. Like she's just like in my face. Um, and then she, she started speaking. Nice. Um, which was interesting because like I don't usually hear from her unless we shush her. And then there were times where they started she started speaking and I was like, what is going on? What is she saying? You know, what is she all about? Just uh, chattering away. Just chattering. And I was like, do you need something? You're usually the quiet one. Um, it's Hemlock's the one who like has everything to say. Yeah. No, it's funny. She does. She, especially like you do get to know her more when you stay. You know, because she is, she's very chatty 
and nobody ever knows why. Like you get up, you follow her around. She just walks in circles. She's not trying. She just wants to make noise. He was like, a Hemlock was like. He's like me in that way. Would just like follow me <laughs> and just be like, meh, meh. and I just had to like, I always had to not have my back to him when I was filling up my water because he's going to jump on me. And I'm like, I'm he not does. like, I'm not like your daddy's. Like you jump on me. Like, <laughs> it's like I read enough Calvin and Hobbes to know. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, they're rude. <laughs> uh, good times. Ah, awesome. Yay. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, with that, we will uh wrap it up here and take a quick break. And then we're gonna be back to uh talk about the creature from the black lagoon. Yay! Hey, dear listener, Joshua here with a plug for our Patreon. Becoming a Fright School patron will give you the opportunity for exclusive access to bonus content, including videos, our secret show, book club, and even monthly online hangouts with us. That's right. We've been hard at work preparing all of this exciting content for you, including our brand new secret show, The After Fright School Special. Joe finally gets his revenge by making me watch his favorite films. Some of them will even be gag family friendly. We have four different monthly memberships available. The PTA Booster Club at a dollar, Just Auditing at $5, Full-Time Load at $10, and the Faculty Lounge at $20. Every bid helps us keep Fright School going, and we are so grateful for any and all of your support. Join us over at patreon.com slash Fright School. The class you never want to miss just got better. All right. Welcome back. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited. I'm so, so, so excited for today's uh, chat. It has taken us many years. I have, uh, you know, to get to Creature from the Black Lagoon, even though it is like one of my favorites of the Universal uh, monster films. And I, you know, it was just one of those things where it's like, I think I put this on and taken it off and put it on, taken it off, trying to find exactly where I wanted to place it. You know, because we were doing sort of the fairy tale dive. So for a while, I thought we would do like a Beauty and the Beast thing. And -hmm. we could talk about, you know, Creature of the Black Lagoon and King Kong and, you know, those sorts of things. But I don't know. It just seemed like the perfect time for this summer, you know, for July to do our, our little series here of, you know, don't go in the water. Don't go outside at all is my general motto. But uh, for this, for this little segment, we're looking at some films about, watery monster creature things so got to start with a uh, creature from the black lagoon and obviously i'm very excited you see i've got my creature from the black lagoon shirt on that's yes you know, if you if you're watching us you can see that i did my nails all green i've got my uh creature from the black lagoon tiki mug with a, I'm, I'm using my glass Coco Peru straw because Coco Peru, this is actually cool. She uh, sent me a message on Instagram because I posted a picture and she said, that's my childhood crush. And we had a little back and forth about Creature from the Black Lagoon, uh, which I knew because she did a stand-up show or like her one woman show uh, a couple of years ago. It was the show, it was kind of infamous because she decided to change her wig, which if you know anything about Coco Peru, she's a famous drag queen. Uh, but uh, Jackie B calls her old one wig because she's always had the same red little fl- flip hair. She's in, um, 
Uh, if you've seen, don't tell Wong, or no, to Wong, Wong Fu, Fu, don't tell mom, the, the babysitter's a drag queen. Uh, to Wong <laughs> Fu, <laughs> thanks for everything. Julie Newmar, she's the drag queen in the big opening sequence who like walks down the runway and crushes the cup. And, you know, so that's Coco Peru. Anyway, she's a big fan of the creature from the Black Lagoon. So I thought it was appropriate today for having my beverage with us, with her glass straw. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm using Coco Peru to suck suck out of the <laughs> creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh, very lascivious. Anyways, 1954, classic. I, it, it's, it just is. It's a classic film. Uh, black and white, 3D. We've got Jack Arnold on direction, who also did um, It Came From Outer Space, I think. Uh, screenplay, Harry Essex, Arthur Ross, story, Maurice Zim. You know, who cares about them? <laughs> We've got Richard Carlson starring Julie, uh, Julia Adams. Uh, Richard Denning, which, little trivia for those, uh, you know, maybe some people know this, but Richard Denning... Uh, was the original husband on, uh, I think he was the original husband. Maybe he was, uh, maybe he came in at a different time. But anyways, uh, my favorite husband, the radio show with Lucille Ball, which became I Love Lucy. He was the original husband on the on the radio show version. Um, I thought that was cool trivia for people if they wanted to know. I've actually known that for a long time because I got I rented a book from the library when I was like 12 or 13 that was the Lucille like radio show it was all about like her time in radio and it had a cd with it that had uh uh episodes of my favorite husband on it and it was with Richard Denning as Mr. and Mrs. Cougat eventually Mr. and Mrs. Cooper anyways little side thing there for the Lucille Ballologists you know among us this and has then, been course, a public service announcement for your local library you know yes fun, exactly having fun isn't hard if you've got a library card jello everybody the big red letter <laughs> no the big red letters stand for the jello family anyways that's from my favorite house anyways um Blah, blah. This is, we've gotten so off track already. Uh, anyways, Ben Chapman and Riku Browning uh, played the Gill Man, uh, one on land, uh, Chapman, and one underwater, Browning, uh, which obviously the creature shines, I think, most when he's swimming along. Anyways, film, pretty standard uh, plot, kind of ripped right from King Kong, which we'll discuss when we discuss King Kong later this year. Haha, <laughs> spoiler alert, that is coming. Uh, you know, Group scientists go to the Amazon, look at fossils, stumble across, you know, fish man monster. Uh, hilarity ensues. Joe, what you think of uh, the creature from the Black Lagoon? I don't want to upset you, Joshua. <laughs> <laughs> I I thought it was I thought it was what it was. Yeah. Um, it's not my favorite film of the older films that we've watched. Um, but it was definitely one of the longer ones. Um, no, <laughs> what are you talking about? It's like 70 minutes. It's out, out, 79 minutes, not even an hour and a half. I, and it I, moves fast. It moves quick. I mean, it does move fast. I, I didn't, I didn't particularly care for it, but again, I also like, you know, I, I didn't like, I, I, I don't know. I wanted, it was missing something and I wanted more and I don't know how to, I don't know how to describe it. It's also like, you know, a year before my parents were born, like this movie came out. So, <laughs> so, you know, yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to, um, uh, 
I don't want to go too far into it because it's just like it's not it's not worth it. I just can't really describe what it is that I didn't like about it. I loved, well, actually, no, I can. I loved everything that was not the researchers. So only the creature stuff. So <laughs> creature coming out, you know, a lot of underwater swimming, all of that stuff. Like I loved everything with the creature, hated everything with the researchers. I was like, stop talking, <laughs> stop talking. Um, and the whole time I was thinking about the watching this film, I was like, oh my God, this would be like the perfect, like symphonic listen or movie for like um, a symphony. Like, oh, I would love that. Yeah. Like yeah, a Halloween thing. Live. Yeah, that'd be really, really cool. Um, yeah, no, I mean, you're not going to hurt my feelings. Lord knows. Um, we've watched enough stuff. But, uh, and it's not that I don't disagree, you know, or, or not that I, you know, don't agree with you is what I mean to say. It's not that I disagree. Uh, you know, it's not a perfect film by any means. I, I think what I love about it is, is that I just, I've always really enjoyed the creature design. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are parts of it that are quite beautiful. You know, I mean, there are some swimming sequences that are just amazing. Uh, you know, obviously the very famous one of uh, Julia Adams as Kay swimming and the creature swims up under her. And I mean, that's like super influential in film. And, you know, a lot of people saw that, you know, um, uh, Guillermo del Toro famously, you know, that stuck with him and uh, seeing this film is why he made Shape of Water because he wanted the creature and Kay to get together in the end. Uh, so he, he, he re-envisioned it so that uh, he could make that film. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it has a lot of lofty goals in it that it doesn't really meet, which I think is what makes it kind of disappointing, especially when it comes to Kay, because she's mm. very, so we're going to kind of look at this film from three different angles. Uh, so we might as well, we'll just, you know, since I already kind of started, we'll talk a little bit about the feminism of it, uh, or lack of feminism, but the attempts at feminism, um, you know, then we're going to look a little bit horror noir, obviously had something to say about this and it's covered in the documentary and in the, and in the textbook. Um, and then also monsters in the closet uh, mentions this uh, with sort of a queer reading. That's that I think is kind of interesting. Uh, so we'll just start with like the feminist angle, because I think that there, um, there's some really neat things like right off the bat. And it was funny because I, I made a note about Kay driving the boat Um Mm-hmm. And which I read in several articles pointing out, like, you know, in the 50s, especially if there was a man available to drive, he'd be driving. You know, so the fact that she like is driving the boat on the way back as the scientists are chatting, uh, you know, I think is is a, a kind of a cool moment. Uh, it's clear that David like leans on her. There's mentions through, you know, in the film later about her valuable uh, contribution to the work uh, that they're doing and that research. Like, so obviously Kay's not meant to be like your standard you know, woman in distress who just happens to yeah. be there. But obviously as the film goes on, she it, do it's become, a, it's <laughs> she a, do it's, become that. yeah, it's, it's like the defunct, you know, role or whatever is like to, you know, stand around screaming while the creature, you know, grabs her. Uh, but again, that's, you know, unfortunately, especially for the time. And even now, I mean, again, like women still like there, there are so many problems with like the representations of women and female scientists. Mm-hmm. Have you seen, um, what's her name? Caitlin. Uh, I love her. What's her last name? Caitlin. She does these like video minute videos or whatever, where it's like, you know, wasp mom goes to Olive Garden or whatever, but she has one where it's like women, every woman scientist in a movie. And it's just always like, you know, 
she's, I've got to, you know, I can't, I'm, I'm a woman and a scientist, but I can't really be both there. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I'm either, I'm either, I'm in khaki or I'm in camo. There's no other, no other choice. Like <laughs> it's just, so there are things, there are attempts to make Kay in, at least in the beginning of the film, like, I mean, she's very involved in the conversation. Like when they're talking about the fossil lies, like hand they find, she's the one who mentions like, Oh, it looks like this is made for land. And so it's like clear that she's meant to be intelligent and meant to be part of the conversation. It's not like the guys ignore her. She's giving important, you know, stuff at the beginning uh, to the film uh, and contributing uh, scientifically, quote unquote, <laughs> I mean, as, as sciencey as this movie gets, uh, as scientifically accurate as this <laughs> film is. Uh, I had to look up the Devonian period because they kept saying it. And I'm like, what is that? But it's just, it's the time where we believe that like amphibious creatures became like, or water creatures moved to the land, mm-hmm. the, that evolutionary period. Um, yeah, but in the end, she is kind of, she just ends up being the <laughs> damsel in distress. <laughs> but I was curious what your thoughts, because I remember in the very first season when we watched, um, the thing from another world. We kind of had a similar conversation. We were talking about the Hayes Code and the, uh, I should have looked this up, the something woman. Remember? We the had fem- like a whole. Femme fatale? Was that what we no, about femme fatale, I remember. But um, I think we, we had to do with like the woman in that is kind of similar where it's like, anyways, never mind. If, if it didn't, I thought it would um, uh, ignite your. Hayes code brain. <laughs> oh, Joshua, you give me so much credit. <laughs> uh, well, if it come, if you if you find it, um, if you find it, let like let's bring it back up. But uh, I mean, here's the thing: like the Hawks Hawks woman or something. Oh, the Howard Hawks woman. Oh, with um, uh, uh, his girl Friday, where she's just like this kind of like you know equal footing antagonist. Um, oh my God, what is her name? Famous, famous uh, Cary Grant movie, His Girl Friday. Who is that woman? Well, like Catherine Hepburn, Anne Dvorak, Ava Gardner, Rosalind Russell, Barbara Stanwyck, blah, 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 Lauren Bacall, Hoxian woman. The Hoxian woman. Up front and speaking her mind and keeping up with her male counterparts in witty banter, as well as taking action to get what she wants personally, as well as sexually. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I don't think Kay totally fits into this, but it was something that I was thinking of when I was thinking about, like, because I, I think uh, The Thing from Another World also came out in 54 or around there. Uh, 51, 1951. Mm-hmm. Um you know, so it just kind of, as I was watching it, it was, I was thinking about that, that Hoxian woman caricature that, uh, archetype, I mean, not character archetype that we had discussed and, you See, know, the Hayes code of it all. But here's the thing, like a Hoxian woman, like what took me out of this and where I started to hate all of the people in the film besides the creature is when... Again, maybe the point, we'll get there. Uh, totally, maybe the point. Um, when Kate like just goes swimming in the lagoon like the scene that you just mentioned i was like she's just like you know doing synchronized swimming and it's just like in like first of all if we're going to a place called the black lagoon why would like let's just like go swimming in there (laughs) well the guys are doing their diving and their deep dive and they're exploring so i just think it's like 
She wants to get in on the action. Yeah, but like at least with that, she they were doing it in pairs. You know, there was a scientific purpose. No, I, yeah. She was just like this leisurely swim, and for me, it was like it was not so much like I I don't want anyone to read into any misogyny of like you know silly woman goes you know, but like I was like, come on, white woman, like. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, I'm gonna go swim in the black lagoon. I mean, like I'm gonna go. Yeah. I'm gonna go jump off a you know a dead man's pier or something like that. Like what? What was the point of that? And that's when I started to like really. And also, she's like doing these motions, and it was very like, it was very like I went to prep school, and this is what I learned in my calisthenics course. So you know, we did swimming. <laughs> I, yeah, I like what she's doing the little loops. You yes, know, which I know wasn't her. her. Perfect. It was someone else that did the. Uh, I read it was like someone else who did the underwater stunts for her. So that uh, yeah, was a, it yeah. was another woman swimming. But like still, it's just like but, but it within look, the character. Exactly. Yeah. We need it to look pretty. We need it to look like rem- remind her that she just, you know, is a woman. <laughs> well, and I think that's exactly it. Again, if they had given it, you know, like she's like, I'm gonna swim over to that outcrop over there and see what I find, you know, and and doing like researchy things, sciencey things it maybe would have made, you know, would have added, you know, a depth to that scene for her. Because otherwise it is. That's the point of that scene is to serve as like the enticement of the creature and like, ah, you know, like this is, this is why I should like stick around and, you know, check out what's happening here. This beautiful, you know, white woman swimming around in the Amazon jungle. Immediately understand like, immediately appreciate Jaws more because it's oh. such it's so referenced in jaws like and, and i was just like wow this is where they got it like that's that's been really fun to also as we uh, one thing that i love about revisiting um these older films is to see where the references originate and and yeah. how they like where it's like we're referencing it we're paying homage to it and then where our scene is now also iconic as well like, it's just, it, it was really cool. And just, like, the playfulness of the creature, where it's just like, I'm going to tickle your feet. I'm going to tickle your feet. <laughs> oh, I'm like, ooh, a claw got you. Oh, but not so much. Like, it was just very, like, <laughs> like a cat, like, pawing at something, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not, it's it's very, very weird, that those sequences where he's just, like, trying to touch her, but not exactly. Yeah. It, yeah, that's... <laughs> I don't know. It's it's a very strange to me. So like what the creature is trying to do. Um but yeah, I I just I agree there. Like I love those sequences because they're extremely again this is early, you know, in 1954, 53 that they're shooting it or whatever, or early 54, I can't remember. Um actually yeah, it must have been 53 because I think it came out in March of 54, right? Mm, it's mm-hmm. official release date. So yeah, they would have been um, filming it still the year before. Um, but it's, and the sequence is gorgeous. You know, it's just such a beautiful, and like what an accomplishment for that time for filming underwater mm-hmm. and, and the way the creature moves in the suit. I mean, again, this just goes to, to say something about like the beautiful makeup and the beautiful creature design uh, that's in here. And again, that was the other point I was going to make about kind of the feminist reading of the film is like, you know, the important thing to remember is that like, um, I just finished Mallory O'Mara's The Lady from the Black Lagoon, which is our first uh, Fright School Book Club pick. So again, make sure you are joined into our Patreon so you can join us for the Zoom chat. 
that we're going to have about about the film. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's called Hollywood Monsters and the Lost Legacy of Millicent Patrick. Spoiler alert, the Hollywood Monsters are all the terrible white men. Uh, that 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 haunted uh, and continue to haunt uh, the big the big movie studios. So Millicent Patrick, the book was so good. I, I don't know if you got a chance to read it yet, Joe. I know that you were trying, but you had misplaced uh, the copy that you had. Um, yeah, I need to find it because it's a signed copy too. So yeah. I wonder if it's. I wonder if I put it in storage with my other signed books. But yeah, I maybe. will have to find it. Yeah, because it was it was very very good. A lot about her life, about Millicent Patrick, uh, you know, how she became one of the first uh, women to uh, animate at Disney uh, and then how she went on and, and, you know, designed all these things and sort of, you know, her legacy, it got lost because Bud Westmore's piece of garbage, you know, trash uh, took kind of credit and uh, and dismissed her over his own jealousy. I mean, the, the book does such a good job of going into it because she had like letters and, you know, Mallory got all of this uh, really great, like, you know, first person accounts of, of what happened. And, uh, you know, they had all this stuff saved, all these memos and things about, you know, discussing Bud and discussing Millicent and and the whole thing with Creature. Um, you know, so there's this whole other element that's also going on where you, you know, the film I do think for the time was trying to, you know, bolster Kay and and put her kind of in this situation where she was, uh, you know, seems a very much an individual woman, very independent, you know, she's in this relationship, but she doesn't really need to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's not, I don't think she's really dependent on any, either of these men uh, to some degree. She feels felty to um, Mark because he, you know, as a researcher and, and helped get her her job, but uh, he obviously needs her. There's a whole conversation, like I said later, about her her own important things. But so anyway, so that's going on on screen. And then, you know, the backdrop is, is that, you know, the woman who designed, you know, mm-hmm. the creature. And again, who, who did she, and the book is very... Um, very much points out that it was a team effort, you know, she did the designs for it, but, you know, somebody else sculpted it, somebody else, you know, applied the makeups and did those sorts of things, but she was there on set painting and, you know, and so there's just this really, really, for how, I don't even know how many times I've seen this film and seen it discussed and talked about over the years to know that there was this like horrible thing that happened, you know, in the background, you know, behind the scenes uh, that ruined a very promising career. I mean, she should have been, she should have been a household name, you know? I mean, she was for a while because she toured at Millicent toured with the designs and all this. She should have been the Greg Nicotero of her time. (laughs) So, or like, or, um, you know, because people say, oh, we don't really know the names of behind the scenes people, but we do. We know Tom Savini. We know Rick Baker. You know, we know these like famous monster makers. And I think she should have been up there with them, especially because she did a lot of other. Really Mick cool Garris. Movies. Does he count? Uh, I mean, he's a director, writer. I, director. I guess. Okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, again, we know some people, but I think yeah. she's somebody that we we, we should have known. People should have known a lot, a lot uh, earlier. Uh, and again, some people did. It was just sort of one of those things that was a little lost to history and clouded by time. Uh, so the book does a really good job about, uh, about, you know, uncovering this really cool legacy and all the other interesting things that this uh, woman did with her life. She lived at Hearst Castle and, um, you know, kind of lived there at, when she was a child, her father like designed and did all this work on Hearst Castle. His legacy also was lost to time because he was kind of an asshole. So people, uh, willfully forgot him. So there you go. People be nice. <laughs> 
be nice to people so that they don't erase your name from all the great work you might do. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's just the truth. It's, it's something that she worked hard on in the last bit of her life. Cause her father died. Um, and nobody knew that he had, you know, done this thing. So anyway, so there's, there's just a lot of really interesting behind the scenes stuff. So I highly recommend the book. And it just gave me a, a really new perspective on creature from the black lagoon. And also um, I learned a lot about Hollywood at that time. And, you know, the things that stuff is such garbage and it's been garbage for so long. So we have to, we have to fix it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess we'll move on to uh, discuss a little from Horror Noir. Uh, so they point out, and again, I think this is why that scene is so important, because this is another one of those movies, much like King Kong gets a, gets a very similar reading, where the monster is like after the, you know, the woman, uh, mm-hmm. specifically the white woman, and you, she must be protected at all costs, and we must, like, destroy... Um, you know, the creature, he's got to be, you know, he's got to be destroyed. Um, and that this film like taps into, I mean, something that was kind of very common at the time, you know, these fears of segregation, fears of, um, I can never say this word, miscegenation, miscegenation, <laughs> miscegenation, you know, the blending of, the, you know, uh, so, Horror Noir, you know, they discuss the film, they discuss the way the creature looks, you know, his lips, for instance, you know, they kind of compare him a bit to like the minstrel uh, sort of look and that he obviously stands in, um, you know, this is the um, Robin, Dr. Robin Coleman. Uh, I'm actually referencing the book, uh, you know, but just talking about the way that he looks that he's sort of, he's racially uh, positioned, especially like being, you know, in the Amazon and, uh, you know, there, there's a conversation happening there, uh, and that the creature sort of represents like that menace, but it's interesting because the creature isn't, he's not like malevolent. Like, I don't think it, like, he's just this or they, I mean, we don't even really know what the gill man is, is, but I guess, you know, context clues with gill person, (laughs) gill person. You know, we say he's, he, we, we, you know, refer to him as he's man. He's a creature, like just doing his own business. Like he's just in his place, not asking to be bothered. You know, these people, even in the beginning, like, you know, when he's going, he's sort of like examining the camp. And then, mm-hmm. of course, you know, kills those workers because they throw a lamp at him. So he attacks and, you know, he's, he's self defense mode. Um, which again, that's very quick. They kill like four people of color right off the bat, and you, we don't even care. Like we're not taught to told to care about them. It's very, it's so dismissive. Yeah. Um. You know, but again, because of the needs of white people, because they want to be in this space, they want to invade this space, leaving these uh, people un- unattended there with this uh, creature. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, but uh, the, all the other times that he attacks are because he's attacked. You know, he's like, I'm just like, whoa, just stand here. And then, like, again, he's um, a creature. You know, they're positioning him as, like, something, like, lower evolved. You know, they bring this woman out there. And then he's like, well, she's cool looking. And then, like, you know, he just wants to be friendly. <laughs> Although, again, that's where those sorts of conversations about... um sexual violence you know rape all of that that's like what are we saving white women from right in these films Mm -hmm. like what are we trying to stop 
um, I think in the, in, in Horror Noir, she said like, what's, what is too late? You know, we have to like extrapolate that out and think about like, you know, murder, rape, you know, the sexual violence is implied very much uh, in Creature for the Black Lagoon and a lot of these sorts of movies, you know, the film, like the posters for it all, it's like beautiful woman in the, (laughs) in the, in the grips of a creature. Uh, that was actually really fun to read about with the Hayes Code because everybody was kind of upset when it would kind of come back and forth about the posters and about the images because they were like, you're not going to like show this creature like having sex with this woman, are you? Like they were very concerned about bestiality. <laughs> so so again, because it's the 50s, you know, they kind of pull back on some of that. Yeah, it, it's, um, it's interesting because yeah. it's like, you know, they think of this creature as like, you know, a primitive life form, but like also at the same time, it's like the duality of that is that, you know, it's a primitive life form, but at the same time, they, it holds the key potentially to how we can discover other worlds and how we can, how life can begin. So it's not aware of its own um, profundity, right? Like it's, which like I, those are things that I don't like. It's that's very colonizer. <laughs> it's very white colonizer mentality. Um, decolonize the Gilman. Uh, hashtag decolonize the Gilman. <laughs> no, but I, I mean I think you're exactly right. Like that is there is like um, you know like there's a whole conversation about that about like what they could learn you know from mm-hmm. you, traveling and you know like what it could mean to live elsewhere and yeah we're gonna be what is it that we're gonna be in um we're gonna be in outer space soon like yeah when we go to other worlds um which is just like it which like for 1954 is like fantastic uh to to like all like you know just literally uh, over a decade removed from like actual space flight and um, well, actual landing on the moon. It's just right. fascinating how, you know, it, it's speaking to that time of it, but also like from a science perspective, like also reveals like we, in order to understand the outside and uh, things outside of our world, we, we often look to where we are right now. Um which I thought was really from a, like, you know, trying to squeeze blood from a stone, uh, you know, overcomplicate the films as we usually do here. Uh, (laughs) I thought that was a really cool thing to say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, I don't think that it like, again, you know, we talk about art, we're talking about reflections of society at the time. uh, You know, so I really love this piece from, again, this is from Black Invisibility, White Science. That's the chapter in Horror Noir. And they're comparing the Gilman to King Kong and Gus from Birth of a Nation, rolled into Mm. one body. Uh, The monster resembles a racist caricature. Uh, Its lips are large and exaggerated. Skin is dark. Seemingly feeble-minded. I'm guessing they mean, like, in the sense that, you know, it's sort of tunnel vision or you know he only has yeah um it's uh the monster permits a counter image to white evolution which is pictured as modern intellectual and civilized that is the film tells us that whites with men at the top of the hierarchy have evolved while importantly other races remain static and immobile in their progress Mm. uh the film also speaks to where or among what places the exotic dangerous amazon and which populations the brown slash black brazilians inferiority uh, this is where inferiority can be located when the monster meets its demise in its own territory at the hands of 
the white scientific elite, not only is its subordination assured, but it also becomes understood that such an other had no place in and could make no contribution to the white world, Mm. and that its mere presence, even its own non-white world, is a nuisance, a sort of white man's burden. Um, you know, so that kind of goes with what we were talking about earlier and a little bit about what you're talking about, about evolution and, you know, like what belongs in modernity, what's, what can be taken, uh, from, um, you know, from like, you know, they, they're there to learn, but again, there's no like respect for like the space. I mean, again, even when they find the dude, you know, they want to kill him immediately, or at least Mark does his whole, his whole thing becomes single-mindedly about murder and you know, killing things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing that this uh, book I think does a really interesting uh, thing is, is that in 1955 Emmett Till was murdered. Uh, so just a year after this. So you take, you know, you have this film that seems to be uh, yeah. August of 1955. So about a year after a little over a year after Creature of the Black Lagoon came out, you know, you have this horrible lynching, And so you see reflected in all of these films, like of the fifties, like, which again, this is white, like largely white men, you know, are crafting these films, Um, you know, are writing them and are filming them or producing them and creating them. And so their whole like fear seems to be based in like, you know, the other like people from outer space the being a stand in for communism uh, and then think monsters like King Kong, like Creech, like, you know, other, um, you know, monsters of that being like, you know, black and brown men as threats to white society. But then you have very much reflected in the news that no, the only fucking threat to society are you fucking white assholes coming in, beating us up and killing us and murdering us. You know, so there's a real interesting kind of interplay. And I think Creature from the Black Lagoon, one of the things I do really like about the film is I do think it does a good job of making the creature sympathetic. Like, yes, he's a monster. Yes, he takes, like, yeah, there are are big problems with him wanting to, like, run off with this woman, you know, non-consensually. You know, but it is is a conversation about, like, I was minding my own business. Like, you all came here and there's fighting even amongst the scientists, you know, because, like, David doesn't want to kill it. Does He tries Mm -hmm. to stop them. Um... But, you know, Mark, like, you know, big science dude, who's he's kind of in a weird, we'll talk a little bit about the homoerotic tension between like them and with Kay and all that in a bit. Uh, but obviously, like, it feels like they just it feels like he's reasserting his own like masculinity of like, well, I'm just going to kill it, you know, like, mm-hmm. whatever, we're going to murder this thing. Uh, so again, I just I think it's an interesting space in time where it's like, yeah, very soon after this film came out, you know, where you, and at the end of it, they murder at least, you know, I mean, there are two sequels, but it looks like they succeed in killing him and he floats into the lagoon, which again, like mirrors the attack on Emmett Till and what happened with him and his body being sunk in water and left there. And then, you know, they found it later and his mother famously, you know, put it on display because they wanted to see what she wanted the world to see what white supremacy and racism did to her, a 14 year old child. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen those pictures, but they're, I have, they're they're horrifying. And it's, it's so, it's so, so sad. Uh, I know that's back in the news because I guess they found the arrest warrant for the woman who lied. Like, cause this whole death was a lie. I mean, like it was, it was, Mm -hmm. it was predicated on a lie. Uh, So now people are calling for her to be arrested after all these years, which yeah, I mean, whatever. Um, I'm here for that. She should be punished in some way. I don't think she's ever done any real, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't speak on that. Any real apology or not, but. 
anyways, <laughs> it's like it's such a heavy film, you know, what we're talking about here, at least like reading, you know, when you when you when I first saw it, I liked it because I liked horror movies. I liked sea monsters. I like mermaids. Mm-hmm. I love Loch Ness Monster. Like I'm here for that kind of stuff. So I always had an affinity for the Gilman because of that, that he was like a sea creature. And I yeah. just always thought he was like, the design on him is beautiful. Again, crediting Melissa Patrick and all, and the whole team that put that together. He's just, he's so cool looking. Um, you know, these underwater sequences are beautiful. They were just part of me that's like, oh, I wish I was like some amphibious monster creature just living in this beautiful mm-hmm. paradise. I mean, there are like moments of the film that are gorgeous. Uh, I, I know they build all this on a soundstage and whatnot, but I think they did a very nice job. It's very... If it seems like heaven to me, uh, you know, <laughs> especially because it's there's lots of shade, you know, mm-hmm. and little mm-hmm. murky pits to uh, to to float around in. <laughs> but to get like horror noir and to get these readings of the film and to see how it was like resonating with uh, black viewers on a totally other level, you know, who saw this film for something else, even even when it first came out, I think is is quite incredible. Yeah. Um, you know, it just adds like a heaviness to the, to a film that again, like it, you know, barely over an hour long and not, it's not too complicated, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. scientists go to place, find monster, try to kill monster. There you go. I mean, it's a really simple story, but it's just, it has a lot of really cool elements to it. Uh, were you going to say something before I moved on from that? No, let's get to the gay ship. Okay. <laughs> Well, not, I don't want to like make it seem like it's that big of a deal, but I just, again, I love that in looking through all the books and stuff, like I kept finding like different, really cool readings of it. Um, Creepy bitches. <laughs> I love this collection has a whole thing called taking the ick out of ick theology, which dives into the feminism of, of the, of the film and kind of what, and, and actually all of them, it's, it looks at the whole, all three films and sort of positioning uh, the creature and the women in each film and how their roles kind of echo each other in ways. So I highly recommend that Um, obviously horror noir, but so in looking in monsters in the closet, homosexuality in the horror film, um, this kind of looks more at, uh, so it says that, um, closer look at the creature from the black lagoon. Uh, and its sequels reveals the exact form of the phallic urge which the monster represents, the male-male erotic tension contained within the homosocial triangle. Uh, so I think what this is sort of uh, discusses is, you know, you you have like the woman there. Um, hold on. Oh, that's it. So <laughs> Ramon Navarro was originally supposed to play uh, one of the doctor's roles would, who was a queer person. So it would have added like a whole other thing. Um, anyway, so the idea is that uh, they're there, the males are there to vie for the attentions of the female, along with the creature, usually, while hunting for the creature. The men are constantly linked with the creature, swimming around in the murky waters with him, sharing his lust for the female lead, and frequently serving as red herring shocks for coming into the frame suddenly while the creature is on the loose. We see that in this film where, um, mm-hmm. you know, um, I think Mark reaches for David. Um, one of the things they point out is the squirt gun. Uh, that they use with this milky liquid that they're all is swimming around shooting at the creature. Um, <laughs> um, 
let's see. The homosocial worlds of scientists and sailors are skewed by the presence of a woman. This is what I was looking for. Um, as one character in the first creature film warns about the initial expedition, there's just one problem going into unexplored territory with a woman. These lone women exist in the films to diffuse the homoerotic tension of the situation, but ironically, they more regularly draw attention to it. Uh, the women themselves are linked to the monstrous by the way of their femininity and is through their presence that the possibility of the triangle's male-male desire is filtered. Um, in the first film, Mark, played by Richard Denning, gets rather bitchy when he sees rival David with the woman Kay. Uh, remember, mm -hmm. they have that whole thing about playing house and... Um, you know, so he scorns the possible heterosexual couple, uh, feminizing and domesticating threat that it represents to the buddies all male world. Um, let's see. I mean, this just kind of goes on with all of this kind of looking at um, if Mark can kill or capture the creature, perhaps he can keep his own sexual urges under control. He actually stands in for the creature a few minutes later when uh, in the lair, uh, uh, David is shocked when Mark reaches into the frame to grab him. Um, anyways, this goes on, but I, I thought you would enjoy a little bit of that reading. I was wondering what you picked up on, uh, in, in the queerness of, I don't think I, I don't think I, I, I'm, I'm listening to you tell this and I'm like, okay, yeah, that does make sense when you, when you do it that way. Right. When you, when you, uh, um, as you, as you right, applying it. like this academic yeah. like text yeah. to it, <laughs> but like upon upon like you know viewing it, I'm like I did not pick that up at all. I also just felt like they were just like two cis white masculine, um, cis het white masculine to read any sort of queerness into it, anything outside of the monster itself. Um, yeah, that's kind of how I thought. I mean, I found that I thought it was interesting. I thought to bring it up if people want to explore that more or an, analyze it, because what some of the other books and some of the other articles I was reading did make references about like the queering of like the creature and even like the thought mm. of having like a sexual relationship with him is is like is is a queerness of its own, not necessarily bestial, but kind of. But like you know, so there was some discussion of that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I can't remember what book. I well, actually, that might be further into that. The queer, the uh, monsters in the closet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, thing, but um, yeah, I kind of felt the same in watching it. Like there were there were things about that I thought were you know certainly at the time. You know, I mean, these guys and their little shorts doing their little thing. Like, there's definitely some like flesh on display for all mm -hmm. for all eyes that might be watching it. I imagine you know young gay boys in the '50s watching this probably were. Um, there's probably some confusion about like the creature and the man and the whole thing, <laughs> you know, the high waisted you know? swimming shorts. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, but there's, there is some, Oh, there's something to be said for kind of David is, is trying. I, I, I don't think any of these characters necessarily coded as queer. It's more of mm -hmm. just like, I think if anything, this film is more about like, uh, if you want to go into those waters, like, uh, you know, analyzing like toxic masculinity, mm -hmm. You know, because David is obviously like, I'm a scientist, like I'm here, like we should protect this thing and like find out what we can learn from it. We shouldn't be trying to murder it. And it may be the last of its kind. Like how, like why, you know, why do we have the right to do that? You know, so he's like kind of representing a different type of man, you know, who Kay has chosen as well. Like that's some that's something also to be said about Kay is like, she's not with the, the quote unquote bad dude, you know, she's with the good guy and, yeah. um, you know, is trying to, you know, be 
Try to support that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Not the asshole who's like mur- murder and everybody. And we're going to see that like we see that in films. Like I'm thinking about uh, Matthew Broderick Godzilla, <laughs> where he's very that, you know. I, I, except a little more, not as like uh, a little more uh, nebbish and physically weak looking than um, than in this film. But yeah, no, definitely there is some of that kind of. Uh, it's interesting. They're not really those kinds of stereotypical scientists and like the goofy glasses and you know looking like these are like ostensibly attractive men you know swimming around the Amazon. <laughs> so I can see why some people would want to kind of pull a queerer reading from it, but I think the queerness really lies more in the creature's desire for K and you know kind of playing with that imagery and 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 that otherness of like. Uh, actually reading uh, in the lady from the black lagoon, she compared herself to the creature in the sense of like being like a teenager kind of feeling like, you know, ugly and unattractive and not knowing how to talk to people who you find attractive. So there was Mm -hmm. like that, like for her, like she had that kind of, Mm -hmm. um, attachment to the creature in those moments. It's It's, a sadness. Yeah. It's queer. Like, I love that. That's really beautiful. Um, but there's also a queerness in the fact that like, it's, a desire that looks that um, by other people is being told as unnatural. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at it, you're like, no, what? That's weird. Like, cause even in shape of water, like in watching it, it's like, she's trying to, she want to be with the fish man. What? <laughs> like it's, uh, you know, but it, again, exactly. Like the, that's how people look at us, you know, in our relationships or look at trans people or look at, you know, mm-hmm. um, other queerness as like something alien, something bizarre and something that they don't understand. But, you know, again, has its own beautiful beauty as its own, yeah, has its own language. So yeah. anyways, um, man, I, this, this episode, I, we keep trying to say we're going to make our episode shorter and tighter and more controlled. And they just, and you just bigger. keep rambling on. <laughs> I know. I me know. too. Me too. Look though. at this gorgeous version oh my God. of the film. It's Did you so... just pull all of your collectibles and books? They're all like scattered in front of you. I did, you know, I have a Funko of him. You know, one thing that I regret not buying when it came out, and I should have, and I don't even know why I didn't, because now it's like 200 bucks, is the Living Dead doll version. Oh. So I really, really want one. And I have him on, like, you know, shopping, like, lists in case he, by some miracle, goes down in price. Uh, But I do, I have, like, the Funko Pop. I have, I was trying to find, when I was, like, 13 or 14, Universal did, like, a big relaunch of, like, all their stuff. And um, I had a cute little tiny Creature from the Black Lagoon keychain that I had, like, on my bag forever. And I know it's here somewhere in a box, and I can't find it. But it's, uh, I was trying to find it for this, because I've had it for 20 years, 20 fucking four years. Jesus. Shoot me. <laughs> since you were five. Right. Exactly. Since I was in utero. Um, uh, anyways. Yay. Creature from the Black Lagoon. I, great start. Great start. Yes. I'm actually very excited about the films that we're watching in this um, mix. I'm also very excited about the movies we're watching for the After Fright School special, which again, if you are listening, you can uh, be one of our Patreon subscribers and uh, get lots of fun content. Oh my gosh. Uh, gotten some good feedback so far. I think people enjoy listening to us talk about things that are <laughs> that are not horror related necessarily. I mean, I, I do. <laughs> yeah. 
All right. Uh, All righty. Well, thank you as always. Um, Please tell your friends about us. Spread the word. Spread the Fright School message. Joe. Feel better, Joshua. You You too. (laughs) Good night. Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davey Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. listening to the Geekscape Network.